<laughs> Let's give God praise for that. It's stories like that that just keep me uh, in ministry as a pastor and uh, why I've given my life to follow God um, the way he's called me uh, to in this role. But uh, I tell you, we're, we're just praying. When I'm thinking about our, our Horizon initiative and every time we give and give above and beyond, it, it's not just to overhaul uh, an older building for our children's and students, uh, you know, really environments. Their children are going to be in those environments. They're going to invite their friends to those environments. And we want to see God move and change lives, change homes, change marriages. And that's, that's why that's why we give, that's why we pray, that's why we serve. You may be wondering what is, um, what is Grace Point's response to the Supreme Court uh, decision this past week. And if you're new to our church, I would, I would encourage you to go to uh, YouTube and type in uh, Grace Point Kitsap, because there's other Grace Points around the country, Grace Point Kitsap, and you'll be taken to our, our YouTube channel and last, this past March, a few months ago, we had a series called The Untouchables. And I talked specifically about this issue of life and abortion. Um, I anticipated the reaction that we are seeing around our country. And so if you want a, a deeper explanation of where we stand in this whole idea of having a biblical filter through different issues, I encourage you to, to go watch that. In this new series that we are starting today, in a few weeks, I'm going to bring up that issue again because it's in the context of the passage we will be walking through. So we, we have had a response, I encourage you to go there, and, and if you were not here during that series, and then a couple weeks I'll bring it up again. Today we begin a new series called Forged by Fire. We're going to look at some leadership truths in the in 1st Timothy, the epistle 1st Timothy. 1st uh, Timothy was written by the apostle Paul to a young leader, to a young pastor, and he was his mentor, and he's speaking truth into him. And we're going to go through this, this book, not just talking to uh, pastors and those going into ministry, although that applies and all the wisdom there, but I'm looking at a room filled with leaders. Leadership is influence. If you are a parent, you have influence, you're a leader, and you get forged by fire in that role. If you're a grandparent, you have influence. If you are an officer in the military or an office manager, you are leaders. If you own a business, you are leading others. If you're a captain on your team, you're a leader. Whether you're a, a teenager or an adult, this, is, this series is for you. We're going to look at, we're going to look at some principles um, of leadership. And forged by fire, if you've ever seen like a sword being forged by fire, and every time the hammer hits down on that steel, it's being forged. Here's how leaders are forged. They're forged because of criticism. That's a, a slam hammer down on the steel when we get criticized. When you make a decision and it causes people to get angry at you. Well, all my other friends can do this. Right, I'm not a parent to all those other friends. And they get angry. That's forged by fire. The gossip about you. 
and, and who you are. Uh, they, they have wrong assumptions, wrong expectations. That, that's, you're just being pounded, uh, you know, being forged by fire. When you, when you make a decision and there's disagreement, and you're saying, okay, I get that. If you were in my seat, you probably would make a different decision. But it's still hard, it's difficult, but that's, that's part of leadership. And then you get false accusations. You said this, you did this, you, and I'm like, that's not true. And then this is probably one of the hardest ones is when they, they abandon you. They say, I don't want to be under your influence anymore. I walk away. And that happens is with parents and, and grandparents and, and officers and, you know, I mean, business owners. That's difficult, but that's a reality. So if you have a copy of God's Word, turn to 1 Timothy chapter chapter 1. We're going to dive into this. We're going to talk about six leadership principles in this series. And most, if you're a leader, you're going to hear some of these principles and you go, man, that that is such a true leadership principle. I wish I would have known that earlier. I wish I would really have grasped that earlier. If you're a young leader, you're a teenager, you're 20s or your 30s, uh, we can help you avoid some leadership pitfalls, save you some grief, help prepare, prepare you for what is coming, and also gives you an opportunity to acquire wise leadership principles early. So I'm going to begin actually in verse 12. Paul is writing to this young leader. He says this, I thank Christ Jesus our Lord who has given me strength that he considered me trustworthy, appointing me to his service, even though I was once a blasphemer, a persecutor, and a violent man. I was shown mercy because I acted in ignorance and unbelief. The grace of our Lord was poured out on me abundantly, along with the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. Here is a trustworthy saying that deserves full acceptance. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am the worst. But for that very reason, I was shown mercy, so that in me, the worst of sinners, Christ Jesus might display his immense patience as an example for those who would believe in him and receive eternal life. Now to the king eternal, immortal, invisible, the only God, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. Now you're like, well, what's the leadership principle there? Well, here's the central point if you're taking notes, is that the best leaders lead with humility. The best leaders lead with humility. We're, we, we quickly pick up a humble attitude and a humble spirit on display from Paul. Back up in verse 12 on the screen. Um, he says this, I thank Christ Jesus our Lord who has given me strength. How? How does he give him strength? That he considered me trustworthy, appointed me to his service. Now, if you understand Paul's backstory, this is a powerful statement that the God that I opposed, the Christ that I hated, who I tried to destroy, finds me trustworthy, appointing me to his service. See, Paul was an 
an arrogant young Pharisee who was trained by a legend. And back then in that first century, I mean, if you're in this whole, you know, Judaism and, and the law, and it's, it's a who, a who trained you, and he, he could drop the name uh, Gamaliel, and they're like, whoa, whoa, and it went to his head. Paul, uh, originally um, Saul, but Paul thought, thought he was all that and then some. I mean, he had, he had the training, he had the title as a Pharisee, he had the knowledge, he had the memory, and he had a lot of pride. And when it came to Jesus and the followers of Jesus, he had incredible anger. So much anger that he was on a pursuit to find Jesus' followers, have them arrested, beaten, and some of them killed. He went from God's great enemy to God's, one of God's finest servants. And Paul was forever humbled, looking, remembering his past, I was a blasphemer, right? I, I, was, I, I was a persecutor, I hurt people, I had people killed. I was a violent man. And God has given me his trust he has, he has called me to go around the known world and give the gospel the good news. And Paul is modeling for his, you know, his young Timothy that his title didn't mean anything. But he was modeling humility. One of the first important truths about leadership is we need to understand that leadership is a privilege. Leadership is a privilege. If you have influence, if you have a title that has influence over others, don't let it go to your head. It is a privilege. It is a privilege to parent. Is it hard? <laughs> yes, because a lot of it's payback because how we grew up. And then, and then you're like, you don't know what to do. You're overwhelmed. And, and we can get so distracted with the ankle biters and they need this and they need this and they're always hungry. And then they're teenagers and they're always starving. And they open up a full refrigerator and a full cabinet and there's nothing to eat. And you want to wring their neck. Amen. Don't have any of that. You know, and you're like, oh my, how, how long? I remember my young sister as a new parent, you know, was scrambling with kids and diapers and discipline. And all this. She said to my mom, how long? How long does this whole thing parenting last? My mom goes, it's terminal. <laughs> but then there's an empty nest. And you go, as crazy as it was, I wish I could hear them in the other room, even bickering. And they're no longer there. And if you have parented in the right way, and, and your kids are, are older or leaving the nest or older teenagers or young adults and you have influence, that's a privilege. Never forget that. If you're a grandparent, that's a privilege. If you, if you have been in, you are in a position as an officer, you could easily let it go to your head. Look at my rank. Trust me, they don't really care. They may look like they care because they have to, right? They have to. 
So, so leadership is a privilege. By the way, the lowest level of leadership influence is a title. The lowest leverage as a leader is your title. Now, there's, there's sometimes, and I've only made, I think twice in 37 years as a pastor and having people um, that work with me and, and for me and stuff, only twice in 37 years have I had to remind them that I was their boss. In Southern California, I had a guy that in, in a public setting wanted to set me straight amongst about 500 teenagers, and I didn't respond in the moment. But the next mor- some, uh, Monday morning, Josh was in my office and I said, Josh, let me remind you that I am your boss and don't ever do that again. But if you're pulling out that card all the time and you're dropping your title to remind them that you're a leader, guess what? You're not. You have to keep reminding them. Rare occasions, rare occasions. Leadership is a privilege. Another leadership point here is, is leadership is always appointed. Leadership is always appointed. Uh, in chapter 1, verse 1, Paul says this, Paul is an apostle of Christ Jesus by the command of God, our Savior, and of Christ Jesus, our hope. Paul did not say, you know what, I think I want to be called an apostle. You know, can I purchase that title? No, it was appointed. It was appointed to him. Back to verse 12. Um, He says this, I think Christ Jesus, our Lord, who has considered me trustworthy, appointing appointing me to his service. A title is always given to us. I, I still thank my oldest daughter for giving me the title father. My oldest grandchild for giving me the title of Papa. If, if you were an officer, someone gave you that rank. What, well, I earned it. Yeah, but you could have, they could have still denied you. You were given that rank. And sometimes no one votes, no one ranks you. They just all look at you. And there's a, a situation and, and someone needs to lead And then you'd look around the circle and all the eyes are on you. Without saying a word, without making an official vote, you've been appointed as a leader. All the titles that you have, you have been appointed that role. So be humble. Be grateful to God that he has placed you in a position of influence and use it wisely. Verse 14, Paul talks about this being appointed, and he's like, the grace of our Lord was poured out on me abundantly. Grace is is not prayer before meal. It's I was giving something that I did not deserve. I couldn't even earn it with God. And he gave it, and he over, you know, just overwhelmed me. He, He gave it to me abundantly along with the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. See, Paul never forgot who he used to be, and that God saved him. He expands his story in verse 15. 
He says, and he says this a couple times in this little epistle. He said, here's a trustworthy saying that deserves full acceptance, meaning, Timothy, pay attention to what I'm going to say. A couple of chapters later, he says, I want to remind you what I just said. This is, a, this is a, say, a saying, this is a statement that deserves full acceptance. Buckle up and listen up. And he says this to Timothy, Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am the worst. Now, if you're new to Bible study, just wanted to let you know that Jesus did not come, he didn't leave heaven and come to the earth to be a teacher. Did he teach? Yes, he did. But that's not why he came. Jesus didn't leave the, you know, the throne room of God in heaven to come on earth to do miracles. Did he do miracles? Yes. To prove that he was divine and still the miracles didn't move hearts, many hearts. Jesus did not leave heaven to come here to start a religion. He came here to die on the cross to pay for your sin and mine. And Paul never forgot that. And he said, and I was the worst of the worst. He just, he's never forgot that. Now, I got to understand, this, this Timothy is young. I'm sure he looked up to Paul. I'm sure Paul was his hero. Paul was like, man, if I can be anything close to Paul. I mean, look at the influence. And Paul, maybe probably understanding that, is letting him know, I'm a sinner. I'm like the worst but Christ saved me. As you go in your career and, and, and you advance, never forget the blessings of God. Never forget that you are where you are because God allowed it. God gave you certain skills, even intellect to know things and, and, and pass tests and, and, and to remember things, that God is the author of all good gifts and the titles that you have, even the business that you own, God gave it to you. Leadership is a privilege. It has been appointed to you, that title. And, and a lot of us have lots of titles. So don't remember that you are a sinner. You can, every single one of us has the full capabilities of destroying, destroying every title that we wear because of our sin. None of us are exempt. First red flag is you think, well, I would never do that. It's, it's almost like telling Satan, game on. Don't be stupid enough to think that. That is arrogance. Every single one of us can do the worst things possible because our heart is still wicked. Even if we've been saved and God has given us his grace and has written our name into the Lamb's book of life and, and we have eternal security in our relationship with Jesus. I have seen pastors pastors who God has used in a great way and, and they have influence and they've written books and their, their church exploded and they blew it all up because of sin. That always puts the fear of God into me. And my thoughts, my accountability is I never, and I, I've prayed this to the Lord, Lord, I never want to look candy in the face 
and I have to tell her how stupid I was. I never have to look into the face of my children, even now as they're adults, and explain what I did and how I destroyed all the influence. See, all of us, and that, that, the spirit of staying humble, remember that we are sinners, is a wise thing. And you could have the greatest business, and you can have all the awards, and you can have all the titles, and the highest rank, but you are fallible. I am fallible. And we're still sinners if you trust in Christ, and we're saved by grace. Never forget that. Here's a couple of uh, things to remember when you're leading others, those behind you who you are influencing. Here's the first thing is, is just think about them. They, they can't change their past, but Christ can change their future. You may have someone on your staff that they have a nasty past. And you're like, oh, I don't know if I can trust them. I don't know if I, you know, and, and we kind of pigeonhole people into their failures and they never move past that. Maybe you've had, maybe you have a child or a grandchild, they've made some really stupid decisions. Well, they can't change their past, but Christ, but Christ can change their future. No one is without hope, right? No, no one is unreachable with God. It's so careful, it's so, it's so, so don't be careful to pigeonhole people and, and write people off for their failures for their failures. Paul um, was, would take a team and they would go around the Mediterranean and the known world and go into all these Gentile cities and, and would start churches. And, and, and it was almost like every church, I mean, every city he went to, started a, there was a riot because the Jews were like, you're, you're being, you know, you're blaspheming our God and it's Jesus. And, you know, and they, it would, he would start a, a city riot. Well, a young man named Mark, or John Mark, he went by both names, was on one of Paul's teams, and he traveled with him, and in one city, it got crazy. It got intense. The opposition was fierce, and Mark bailed, and he was gone. Like, where, where's John Mark? Where, where did Mark? He, he left. The, 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 the heat was too hot. And then another ministry or a missions trip was, was planned and, and the idea of, hey, well, let's bring Mark back. And Paul was like, no, heck no. And him and his good friend Barnabas got into a heated argument and they went their two ways. And God was in that because now it was two teams, you know, planting churches. But years later, Paul brings Mark back. Mark couldn't change his past. He couldn't delete his choice to bail, to to leave the team because it it was too hard. Well, Paul brings him back. And if you read through the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, that's the guy. And Mark hung around Peter. I mean, talking about, you know, rubbing shoulders with someone who made lots of stupid decisions. He hung around Peter, and God used Mark to write the story really from Peter. See, God didn't write Mark off. 
Was he young and made a foolish choice or he didn't have enough, you know, internal fortitude and character to remain and endure? Yes, he bailed. But God doesn't write people off. Paul didn't write Mark off. And Mark is one of the four gospels. You never know who you're influencing today how God can greatly use them in the, it, tomorrow. Let me say that again. You have no idea who you are influencing today that God will use greatly tomorrow. My first uh, youth ministry in Vancouver, Washington, uh, when I started we had 10 kids, if they all showed up. And we started growing and, and God was starting to move in this little church and there was an eighth grader by the name of Chuck Rush. I, I look now and he had, I mean, he had ADHD on steroids. That was before it was even diagnosed. I mean, he was just bouncing off the walls. I mean, he was just all over the place. He was a hot mess. But his dad had died as a policeman. His mom was a Washington State Highway Patrolman. And she checked out. She used alcohol to, to numb her pain. And Chuck was just on his own. And he was crying out for love. But all you saw was, this dude's irritating. And we'd have combined, you know, junior high and high school sometime, and, and, and Chuck was always getting in trouble, was always pulling him aside and reading him the right act. And, and I, I stopped him from getting beat up several times because he thought it was funny to, you know, with shorts on, pants a senior, a couple senior guys who were athletes. And they were ready to take his head off, you know, and I, whoa, 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 whoa. And I took him back there and I just got, a, just got in his grill like, Chuck, what are you thinking, you idiot? But he was crying out. Somebody love me. Somebody notice me. Someone pay. Even bad attention was good attention. He got saved and then God called us here to be the youth pastor here in uh, 1991. 21 years later, I run into Chuck Rush. I was at a conference in Seattle for, for uh, pastors and, and those in ministry, and, and I was super discouraged. I went there, I was super down, and I was struggling, and I'm listening, you know, and I'm just like, I was just really struggling. I'm like, is, is ministry even worth it? That's how low I was. Then during a break, there was a, you know, in the lobby, there was resources. So I'm in line just looking at these resources and someone taps me on my shoulder and I turn around, Chuck Rush. He said, Barry, you led me to Christ. I still have the Bible you gave me. And years ago I surrendered to the call of ministry. Today I'm a youth pastor. God just changed my attitude real quick. Yes, the ministry is worth it. It's hard. He's a junior high man. You'd want to wring his neck too. I couldn't change his past. I couldn't change his parenting, you know, with what happened to his parents. But look what Christ did. Changed his future. I'll get to understand in heaven the fruits of his ministry that I had a part in, even though I was long gone. 
the second thing of to remember when you're leading others is who they were yesterday doesn't have to limit what, that can, what they can be today. Who they were yesterday doesn't have to limit what they can be today. And Paul remembered this, that's why he just had this constant spirit of humility, is he remembered who he was and that God didn't limit him. God didn't say, yeah, okay, I'm going to give you this much, you know, freedom and rope, but not that that much because I still remember when you chased around my followers and, and you arrested them and you had them beat up and some of them died. No. When we get the forgiveness of God, all things have passed. God separates our sin as far as the east is from the west. He doesn't, God doesn't throw our junk up in our face. That, if you think of that, when that comes up in your mind, that is Satan, not God. Not God. And because Paul said, I just want to remind you, Timothy, why Jesus came. He came to save sinners. And I'm the worst. In verse 16, he says this, but for that very reason, because I was so bad, I was shown mercy. So that in me, the worst of sinners, Christ Jesus might display his immense patience. I'm an object lesson, Timothy. And God said, you know what, I'm going to save this guy. <laughs> he deserves hell. But I'm going to give him mercy. I'm going to take the punishment away. And he, Paul's saying, I'm, I'm like an object lesson of God's immense patience. As an example for those who would believe in him and receive eternal life. If you have employees that, that are under you, don't just view them as people to accomplish your objectives. To help your bottom line. God has placed them in your life for a reason, and I pray that you would model humility of what Christ has done for you. Maybe as they hear your story, they can say, wait a second, look what God did for them. I wonder if God would do that for me. That, that's, what, that's what Paul's saying. I, I'm an object lesson of God's mercy and grace and love and patience. People may have to look up to you and they have to respond to you because you have a certain rank that you're wearing. They don't, they may not be choosing to follow you on the inside. They're just, they're choosing to follow you because they have to. But when they choose to follow you because they see a humble, they may not even understand your, 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 your story with God, but they see someone humble and worthy of respect. And yeah, you do your job and you have expectations and you follow through with those, but how you treat them, you may not even know their past. But when they hear your story, you have a chance to share that. They may, look what God did for him or her. What about me? Grandparents, our job is not just to feed them sugar and pay back our kids and send them away. We have an opportunity to influence them and show them what a great and mighty, merciful, gracious God you serve. And just maybe you'll plant a seed that one day they would want to follow him too. No one is beyond hope. Paul modeled that. 
The one who tried to kill Christianity, God used to advance Christianity in the known world and is still being used today. God didn't use Paul's past against him, and neither should we. Neither should we. If you're new to Grace Point, or maybe you've come a, a while, and maybe you don't know this, we have people serving. And even in leadership uh, positions of, in, in ministries that have big time failures in their past. I, I hear this a lot when I invite people to come, you know, and, and they're like, oh, I don't know. And I've heard this so many times, oh, you don't want me at your church, you don't know what I've done. I'm like, no, you'd fit right in. But we have people in our church with big time failures in their past. Some even have done prison time. I was at an event a number of months ago with someone with a past, with prison time. And when we know those situations as, as elders, we, we have the appropriate um, parameters and guardrails and stuff because it's, because it's the wise thing to do. But we love them and, and this person was serving and someone who had left our, our church saw him and said this to him. I can't believe Grace Point would allow someone like you to be here. And he told me that. And my reaction was, without grace, what's the point? Either we believe in grace or not. Okay, you can clap for grace, not for me, okay? Without grace, what's the point? And I, I spoke right into him. We have a church of forgiven failures. Aren't you glad for that? I was going to have you turn and say, yeah, you're a failure and God's forgiven you, but we won't do that. <laughs> but all of us have failed. All of us have sinned. All of us, if, if everything we have done and even thought has been exposed, <laughs> I don't think any of us would show up next week. But God is in the business of forgiving failures. And then God, like Paul, he allows them to serve and often use their story to point people to God. Well, I don't want to share my past and stuff because I don't want to give Satan credit. Who cares about him getting credit? How about giving God credit for his mercy and love and care and grace and forgiveness? God is in the, in the forgiving failures business. So, in your role, in your opportunity to influence, we have, none of us have any reason to get haughty and to act like we're all that. We've derived, well, look at my degrees and look at my titles. Golf clap. Doesn't matter. Paul wraps up this section with all of that, and he met several, several times that I'm the worst sinner and what Christ has done, he wraps this section up and he says this, now to the king eternal, immortal, invisible, and the only God. Now to him, right? What? Be honor and glory forever and ever. Timothy, I was the worst sinner, but God saved me. And he, he gave me his trust. 
He appointed me to his service. I didn't deserve it. And he gave me his mercy and he gave me his grace, so much grace it was overflowing. And he used me as an object lesson of his immense patience. So everything in my life, everything that I do is to give him honor and glory because he deserves it. Diane Disney is the oldest daughter to Walt Disney. And when she was an adult, she uh, saw what people thought about her father and how he was viewed you know, in the news and in the magazines and the awards and the fame. And she decided to write a biography about her, her dad to tell people, let me tell you what my dad was really like. And she talks about growing up and uh, uh, with, he was just a loving, humble father. And, and that he involved them with his projects and, and even asked them questions and some of their responses triggered creative ideas, you know, and, and he just included them. And, but he wanted them just to grow up as normal children. And she said one, one time when she was small, she, she went to a new school, a new school year, and the first day of class, the teacher said, okay, let's go around in a circle, and everybody tell us your name and a little bit about you. And she's listening and watching, listening and watching, and it gets to her, and she goes, I'm um, Diane Disney, and all, all the kids are like, oh, and she had a look like, what was that? And her teacher saw the look, and she goes, Dan, what's your father's name? Walter. And the whole room was like, oh my God. And she was just like confused. Why are they acting this way? And her teacher goes, have you ever heard of Mickey Mouse, Donald Duck, you know, you know Snow White and the Seven Dwarfs? Have you ever heard of those? She's like, yeah. She goes, you're your dad owns them all. She didn't know that. Everything, all this, your, your dad owns it all. And she, she goes, I, I left confused. And she went home and she said, I, my dad was in his recliner and he had the, the newspaper up. And she goes, I walked up and pulled the newspaper down and said, you never told me you were Walt Disney. All she remembers is a loving, humble dad. And what impression that made on her heart. If you have trusted Jesus Christ as your savior, he is the king of kings, lord of lords. He is the king eternal, immortal, invisible. And he has assigned titles and areas of influence. Use it wisely. And all of your influence have humility. Let's pray. Jesus, thank you for being an incredible God and how you forgave Paul and then used him and used um, his, his experience and his abilities that you gave him for your glory. And God, thank you for calling us. If those of us who's trusted in you, we are your sons and daughters. And we, you know that we're a mess and, and you know all about our past, but you choose to, to not hold it against us because we were forgiven by the blood of the cross. And so Lord, I pray that you would take this simple leadership lesson from uh, this epistle to encourage all of us 
to, to, to all the titles that we have, that, that it is a privilege to have influence. And it, is, it has been assigned to us ultimately by you. And may we lead with humility. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, friends, we, as you know, have been in a season of isolation that we've never experienced before in our lifetime. And we, as Grace Point Church, want to enter into a season of community. We're doing something this summer that we've never done before. We're really excited about it. It's called Porch Parties. If you haven't heard about it, I encourage you to go to gracepointkidsap.com. What we're doing is there's four separate dates over the summer where there are people in our church that are opening up their porches, their backyards. We're just having a, providing a time for people to come and hang out. And you're like, well, do I need to bring anything? What's it all about? You don't need to bring anything except your winning personality. You just show up, hang out in someone's backyard for a couple hours, meet some people that you haven't met before, and you leave. It really is that simple. But we want to build community. We're wired for community. Community. We're wired for relationships. And so this summer, we are going to start porch parties. We hope that you'll join us. Space is limited. So please go to gracepointkidsapp.com, click on porch parties, pick a date that works for you, sign up, show up, and have a blast. And speaking of relationships, if you are brand new here to Grace Point Church, we're so glad that you chose to be here today, and you're glad that you're sitting in the air conditioning. So we encourage you, as you're done here today, go out to our guest services counter, and we have a special gift for you just for being here. Have a great week. Don't worry about the heat, because it's going to rain in a couple days. It's Pacific Northwest. Love you guys. Bye-bye.